Hey everybody, it's Drags and it's Wednesday, July 31st, time for episode 309 of Patriot's Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. Follow us on Twitter, as always, at Patriot's CLNS. Welcoming back this week, Alex Barth of clnsmedia.com, covering the NFL and the Patriots for us. Follow him on Twitter, at RealAlexBarth, all one word, no spaces, no funny business, just real Alex Barth. Alex, how you enjoying camp? You staying cool? Um, I'm doing. I'm doing my best. I forgot sunscreen day one, so I'm still feeling that a little bit. Oh but, my um, god! I mean, yeah, be- no, I- be- between you and, and uh, Evan, I-, I don't understand why you know you're going to be out in the sun all day. You got to think ahead, dude. Is it just a a matter of just youth and not inexperience? I, I, I just I associate sunscreen with the beach, and it's when when I'm in going to camp, I'm in the mindset of I'm going to work, and I, I don't have sunscreen as is you know something I need for work. Binoculars too. I didn't have binoculars the first day. I, I was not ready for day one. Bill Belichick would not have been pleased with me. But no, I got it together. I I love this time of year. I love training camp. You know, going to the games is great obviously, and, and I'm very lucky to do that. But there's just something about – this is going back to college and covering my college football team. There's something about just standing on the sideline or sitting up on a hill just on some grass, watching pra- watching football practice. You can hear the pads hit. You can kind of hear the coaches, what they're saying. And there's just something really magical about that for me. I absolutely love it. I'm glad, actually, you brought that up because one of the first points I want to bring up is the – primer for Patriots fans who go to camp. We need to kind of uh, make it clear to some fans that what they're seeing in training camp practice is the most vanilla of vanilla uh, formations that the Patriots are going to show you because, again, while they're certainly in pads a lot of times uh, during training camp, uh, they are not showing you, uh, you know, formations and they're not working on specific plays they're still working on fundamentals and they're working on you know to see who is the elite competition at a particular position right i like to say they're using the madden playbook for people who it's not a reference to john madden but the video game for people who play the game you know it's there's like a hundred plays and they're drawn out very specific routes and that is what it is that's not actually what nfl playbooks look like especially not the patriots patriots could not be farther from what you see in Madden, but that's essentially what they're using right now. It's predetermined route trees, predetermined groupings in order to just get a look at everybody. And the other thing to remember with training camp too, just to kind of get back to your original point, is you have to take everything you see with a grain of salt. And this isn't something I honestly... Correct. This is something I didn't know until I started covering the team. When I always went as a fan, I would kind of look at everything and assume that, that, that what I saw was the real football, but... You know, I, I've been focused a lot on Twitter on the punter battles, and I'm tweeting out hang times, and people love those. But you have to remember, you know, coaches might tell them, all right, we want this one to be a bullet, or we want this one to be near the sideline, or we don't want this one to be returnable, or whatever. Uh, with quarterbacks, sometimes being held, they're being told to hold on to the ball a little longer. Every once in a while, even I've heard of Bill Belichick doing this before a play. He'll go up to a lineman and say, hey, let your guy throw. Let, let the rusher through just to kind of see how the quarterback and the offense will react to that. So – you know, it's, I don't want to say don't go off any of it because obviously there's a large sample size here. There's a lot of practices. They're each, you know, an hour or two long, but you have to remember that 
not everything you see is real. You have to take everything you see with a grain of salt. Well, and and certainly the great plays that stand out are great plays on their own, and we're not diminishing, you know, a, right. a great one-on-one move that a particular receiver might make on a defensive back, or just the opposite, a defensive back might be able to uh, beat a receiver on a route, jump the route, and make a nice play and intercept. You know, intercept the quarterback. Actually, that's what the coaches are looking for. They're looking for players who stand out in one-on-one battles, especially if it's a one-on-one battle where you put a second or third teamer up against a first teamer. How do they handle that? And that is what they're looking for. The other thing about play calling, and I'm really glad you brought this up, Monday evening, uh, before the in-stadium walkthrough, Bill Belichick was asked about Gerard Mayo and play calling. And he was quick to point out, he said, look, Gerard Mayo is very bright, very smart, and we really like our defensive staff without really getting into who's actually going to be calling uh, the defense right. this year. But what his point was is Gerard Mayo's not calling the defense right now. Everything is scripted, and he wanted to make that point really clear. And it's, it's scripted in that the plays are decided before time. So I actually think – Mayo is going to be the guy because even though he's not the one picking the plays, he is getting used to communicating with that defensive unit and how that could go. So I, it's still valuable reps, even if he's not the one coming up with the play for him to be in that situation. But yeah, it's all it, kind of like what you just said. The, the overarching stuff itself, maybe you don't really know what the background is, but a diving catch is a diving catch. A, you know, great swim move is a great swim move. You can't fake that. You can't script that. So that's the kind of stuff you want to look for. And the other thing, going back to yesterday, and, and it feels appropriate making this point the day after Rodney Harrison was inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame, they're looking at effort. Who's going out there the third day in a row of practice in 90-degree heat, and who, who's just, just going through the motions, and who's really going at it and giving it 100%. And they're, they're looking for that too. And that is as big a thing as anything to them down there. Yeah, and the thing I want to also stress uh, in terms of uh, the defense and Gerard Mayo, there is still, while while the staff underwent a significant amount of change, and that's uh, been very uh, publicized and very well reported, Brian Flores now uh, the head coach with the Miami Dolphins, uh, there are still coaches that Bill Belichick is very familiar with, and or comfortable with, uh, including uh, Brett Bielma. It'll be very interesting to me to see how much responsibility Bielma gets. Um, we may or may not know the extent of that uh, responsibility unless Belichick comes out and says, yeah, Bielma has taken on some of the defensive play calling responsibility. I don't know if he's going to do that, but uh, I think the Brett Bielma factor is, is a fascinating one to, to, to watch for me. Yeah, it's everything's just so unpredictable on, on that side of the ball. And it's funny because on offense, we're talking about the turnover of the players, but the coaching staff is, is really still intact outside of losing their wide receivers coach. Pretty much everybody's still in shape. That is also side not, of the ball. Yeah, that, not, not to cut you off, but that's exactly what Belichick said again in his press conference on Monday is that he and Josh McDaniels and, and a lot of the people on the offensive side of the ball, like Joe Judge, who's, you know, been been promoted uh, onto the offensive staff working with the right wide receivers in addition uh, to the uh, special teams responsibilities I think he's he he knows a lot more about what he has offensively uh, than he has defensively 
Right, and I mean, you're still working on some of the the players. The wide receiver core is going to be almost completely redone. The tight ends are completely redone. So the the nice thing for them is they have the coaches that were there last year to help facilitate that. on the def- And then on the defensive side of the ball, you have the opposite. You're returning just about everybody, what, 10 of 11 starters, right, outside of Trey Flowers. Right. But then the coaching staff is totally overhauled, but there's so many veterans on that defense that – you know, they're all coaches in their own right. Devin McCourty's going to contribute as much as any defensive backs coach is going to. A guy like Dante Hightower has been a coach on the field, it feels like, since he was a rookie. So they're in a good spot, and Bill Belichick does this in, in from every single aspect. He plans his transitions. He knows when his transitions are going to come, whether it's transitioning, you know, whether it's he knows that at one point he's going to have a very young defense or he's going to have a very young offense or he's going to have to replace coaches. He lines his transitions up so it's never too much to take at one time. And he is so good at that in the way he times out contracts of both players and coaches to be able to do that. It's just one of those things that, you know, nobody talks about because there's so many things he does so well and it gets buried in the pile. But it's it's little things like that that make him the greatest coach and the greatest GM, too, of all time. What do you think about Michael Bennett, and how do you think he looked in uh, on Sunday in his first practice in pads? I thought he looked really, really good. I know uh, Evan Lazar felt the same. Um, yes, he was working primarily against second and, you know, against, primarily against third stringers uh, and third teamers, uh, but he did get some reps uh, with second teamers. And just from the naked eye, I thought um, Michael Bennett looked pretty doggone good for stepping off a plane from Hawaii, getting onto the field, and showing glimpses of the explosive type of player he's going to be along the defensive front. Yeah, no, you mentioned that. I mean, I get out there at 8 in the morning, I'm groggy. He got off a plane from Hawaii and went out there, so you got to give him credit for that, even if it is against third stringers. And the fact of the matter is, if you're not beating those guys, you're not beating the ones. So... Yeah, he has tougher competition he'll face, but that was good. He is just so quick. There are some players in this league. I remember Brandon Browner when he first came to the Patriots. I had this reaction when I first went and saw him at training camp that, you know, you watch them on TV and you can tell they're good, but you can't really appreciate exactly what it is that makes them good and how good they are without seeing it in person. Great point. Because it's such fine detail. And Michael Bennett's one of those players. I always knew he was good, like watching him on TV and watching him on the Seahawks and the Eagles. Like I knew he was a good player. You can see it. He's one of the better defensive ends in the league. But then you see him in person, and you see how fast he moves his hands and how perfect his hand placement is and how the, the feet and the hands are all connected, and it's all one motion, and, and it's one brain. And it, it's that's rare. The way he, he moves is rare. So I'm really excited to see him against some, some tougher competition. My guess is he won't get many reps in the preseason. I don't think he will. I think he's a guy that they really want to make sure stays healthy. And at 33 years old, does he really need those preseason reps? Probably not. But that's a guy who's going to pin his ears back and go. That's going to be a weapon for Bill Belichick coming off the edge and, and Michael Bennett. And he seems to have bought into his comments after that practice. He seems to have really bought in and really be ready to go and help this team out. Chatting up CLNS media colleague Alex Barth covering the Patriots and the NFL for CLNS. Baseball season is in full swing, and placing a wager on baseball has never been more exciting than with BetOnline.ag. This weekend, the Red Sox continue to try and make a push against the Yankees when they play four at Yankee Stadium against the AL 
East Division leading Yankees, including a huge day-night doubleheader on Saturday. Get in on that action because you're a loyal listener of Patriots Beat and CLNS Media. We're giving you an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll when you go to clnsmedia.com slash trags. Use that promo code CLNS50. Best part is the bonus will be added onto your balance within mere seconds. Again, support our podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash trags, that's T-R-A-G-S, use that promo code CLNS50. Minimum deposit of $25 required to qualify for the bonus. You will receive a 50% bonus on your qualifying first deposit only. It's important to understand that. And please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. Back with Alex Barth of CLNS Media covering the Patriots. Uh, you get your full load of fireworks on Monday night? Almost. So I had to go back and uh, get our equipment. I totally forgot that they do the uh, fireworks after the in-stadium practice. So when I come back out, all I saw was the lights were off, and I was all worried about us being able to film our segments, and the fireworks went off, and I, I remember that that was a thing. I, I love that event, especially because it used to just be season ticket holders. Now it's season ticket holders and residents of Foxborough, and uh, it's great they do that for, for those people because they really hold them hostage 8 to 10 to 12 nights a year plus all the concerts. And I remember I didn't grow up in Foxborough, but I grew up right on the border in Sharon, and Patriots Place, you know, if I ever wanted – you know, quick bite to eat. There was no food in the house. I had to go over to Patriots Place or the D'Angelo's or the Papaginos on Route 1. And I don't know how many Sundays there were where 1 o'clock Pats game finished up. My parents were out. There was no food in the house. I wanted something to eat. And uh, I had to drive, you know, 30 minutes to, to Cobb's Corner wherever because I couldn't go over and cross Route 1 to get myself a burger. So uh, it's it's great they do that. And, and it's, it's just so nice for the community because you look at the past and having that stadium in that town and there's – certainly been issues. If you don't know about that, just look up, uh, go on Google, type in Mo- uh, Monday Night Football Foxborough Band, and you can learn all about that. Yep. But, um, it's it's a great event how they do that for the fans. So let's get back to training camp, because that's yep. really what people care about. And I want to get your uh, impressions, first of all, uh, on the wide receiver battle. Uh, if you're talking about people who have surprised, um, you know, the average fan in a positive way, you have to start, I think, with Mo Harris. I don't think a lot of people knew about Mo Harris uh, coming into this training camp. They know about him now. But you also have to wonder uh, at this point, what's up with Dontrell Inman? Yeah, he's somebody – I mean, I had this going the other way, if, if, if I'm going to be totally honest. I really liked Inman. Not that he was going to come in, I thought, and be this great player, but just based on his skill set and his size, I thought he'd be productive in this offense because guys who fit that similar profile in the past have been – Whereas Maurice Harris, he popped in minicamp and he popped in OTAs, but he's the kind of guy who's going to do good when the pads aren't on. He's quick, he's agile, but and I kind of kept saying, all right, we'll get to training camp, but once they put the pads on, this is going to flip, and Inman's going to take over because he can go out and bully guys, and Harris is going to get hit in the mouth a couple times. But no, Maurice Harris competing even harder. Dontrell Inman hasn't been on the field, and you know it, it works out well for the Patriots. They're going to end up with the better player, and the thing I like about Maurice Harris and he kind of gave this to us as a company line Monday night, but there is some truth to it. When he was asked what his favorite route is, he said every one or all of them or, or something like that, which is a very much a Patriots line. But there's some truth to that he's super uh, – uh, uh, he's got a lot of flexibility in what he can do and, and where he can play in the offense. He can line up in the slot. He can line up in the outside. He's got the 
agility, like I mentioned before, to play in the slot, but he has the size where if he needs to go up and fight for a jump ball, it's not the thing he's the best at, but he at least has the size to his advantage where he can maybe do it against the right corner. So I think Maurice Harris is going to be a really interesting piece in this offense. I said this to Evan Lazar Monday night after the practice. He's the kind of guy to me, the Patriots have this guy. It seems like more often than not, they didn't have him last year and they kind of missed him last year. But, you, you know, that guy who he's going to have four catches for 30 yards in a game, but three of those catches will be on huge third downs. Like that's kind of the role I see him in this year. All right. Uh, on the other side of the ball, we have to talk about cornerbacks because I think this is kind of interesting. Um, the three guys I want to focus on, Duke Dawson, Jawan Williams, and J.C. Jackson. I think Jackson has been very impressive. I think he's opened a lot of eyes uh, and really uh, picked it up uh, from last year when he was, uh, again, somebody who displayed great ball skills. I think it was uh, an interception that he made uh, against the Giants in the final preseason game that really stood out. Yeah. But Jawan Williams and Duke Dawson, um, I think they've been a little bit uh, – uh, you know, absent hand. What's the word I'm looking for? The phrase I'm looking for. Um, they they haven't quite lived missing in action. They've been a little bit MIA. Yeah, I think that you know with Juwan Williams, some of that is tied to he's gotten some bad matchups, and they put him up against Philip Dorsett, and that's just not the guy he's going to guard. He's six four, two two and change, and he can't run with a burner. He can't. He's there to guard tight ends. He's there to guard big red zone threats. The guys who aren't moving as quickly. You know the. Um, uh, I can't think of a better name than Kelvin Benjamin. I know he ate himself out of the league, but guys like what Kelvin Benjamin was supposed to be. Uh, but that's who he's here to guard. So matching him up on Philip Dorsett is tough, but at the same time, it's good to see that because he used a second-round pick on this guy, and you hope at some point he's either playing opposite Stephon Gilmore or he takes over as the number one corner when you invest that much in a guy. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him this year. I think he's going to be a very matchup-based guy. I, I was saying this to somebody the other day. I could totally see it where he does barely anything for the first 12, 13 weeks of the season. They face the Chiefs. He's active, and he locks down Travis Kelsey. That's kind of the player who he is, and I think that's at least early on what their role is envisioned for him is when they have a bigger receiver who's on the slower side or where they have a tight end that they know is a matchup nightmare, they'll put him out there selectively, and he can help them out with that. With Duke Dawson, it's a little tougher because the idea was coming into camp, I think, that he was going to take over the slot corner role, and Jonathan Jones on the last year of his deal was going to become a cap casualty or a depth casualty, and he'd be traded. Now, Jonathan Jones has been maybe the most impressive defensive player on the field. Yeah, good point. On Gil for most of camp to the point where he's probably not worth, I don't know, the, even if, if you get a third-round pick for him, might not be worth dealing him for that. And that's kind of just Barry Duke Dawson. I don't want to say he's been disappointing to me because I've barely seen him. It seems like every time the, the big-time reps are going on, it's been Jonathan Jones who's out there, and he hasn't given Duke Dawson that window to fight for that job. And that's what happens in the NFL. That That's how you win jobs. That's how you keep jobs. You can never get complacent. So it's it might just be you know bad luck for Duke Dawson. I still think he's a good player. I wasn't crazy about that draft pick, but he has some talent, and I just don't see how they can keep him and Jonathan Jones on the roster. So he could be a guy that could end up getting cut or traded for like a sixth or seventh round pick and have a decent career. And that's what's going to be interesting just to make a general point about the Patriots roster. I know I'm kind of running on with this question, but this is something people should know. People get on Bill Belichick a lot for, for 
getting rid of guys who end up being NFL talents elsewhere, Keem Hicks, uh, Craven LeBlanc, guys like that. And, and sometimes the case is just they can't keep them as good Correct. as they are. And that's what's going to happen this year. The NFL talent on this roster is is 65 players deep. That's 10-plus players with NFL ability you're leaving off. So I could totally see Duke Dawson being one of those players, and he could go somewhere else and get the change of scenery and be good. But that's going to be one of the toughest things to figure out is that defensive back position and how they're going to lay that out. Again, I wouldn't rule out Duke Dawson not making the roster. I wouldn't rule out necessarily a, a redshirt season for Jawan Williams and possibly him ending up on IR like so many guys did last year at a camp. So that's it's just going to be fascinating to follow that once we get some preseason games and we see actually what the depth chart looks like at that position. I agree with a lot of – going back to the offensive side of the ball, I agree, Alex, with a lot of fans who watched our video uh, on on Isaiah Wynn and when do you start getting concerned. Um, I think he's going to be fine, but at this point, um, if you're projecting week one starters at left tackle, I don't think it's going to be Isaiah Wynn. I think it's either going to be Joe Tooney or Dan Skipper or maybe somebody else uh, who isn't even on the roster gets a shot. But uh, Dan Skipper has kind of come out of nowhere. Again, a Brett Bielma guy at the uh, University of Arkansas. Um, come out of nowhere he's six foot nine and he's got the same kind of body build as Nate Solder probably not the same kind of feet um as uh, Nate Solder has Nate Solder was a first round pick but you know as I'm rambling here Dan Skipper or Joe Tooney who do you think's the opening day uh left tackle I think it's Dan Skipper I I think they tried Joe Tooney early on but it it, it the the David Andrews thing factors in here too and they and he was a little slow getting going but if you are – Joe Tooney's essentially their backup left tackle, and Bill Belichick said as much yesterday. He said he can't dress 10 offensive linemen for a game, so guys are going to have to be able to move around and play multiple positions. But if you look at it that way, which I think it's pretty clear Belichick is, moving Joe Tooney to left tackle, then you're not using one backup offensive lineman week one. You're using two because you're using Joe Tooney left tackle where he's the backup, and then you have to replace Joe Tooney at left guard. So that's two backups in the rear. If you leave Joe Tooney at left, tack- at left guard, you have somebody you feel comfortable with at left tackle. It's, it's only one guy you really have to worry about. And I like Skipper simply because he's huge. He is absolutely massive, 6'9", well over 300. He's not quite Trent Brown. Um, I don't want to say he's more compact than Trent Brown, but he's got uh, – if you you remember Anders Pete was a guy who played for the Saints, still plays for the Saints at tackle. Um, he looks like a tight end. Like you wouldn't think that he's a lineman just because he's lean. It's all muscle, and Skipper kind of looks like that. But a guy that big and that strong with Dante Scarnecchia behind him, they'll they'll make it work. They'll figure it out. Will he be Trent Brown necessarily? No, but he'll he'll hold his own out there. I think when you give Scar that kind of canvas, he'll, he'll get you a left tackle. You're going to be uh, covering uh, the Patriots' practices until they head to Detroit, correct? Yeah, so I won't be there on Wednesday, but I will be Thursday. I'll be there Thursday and Friday. Yes. Well, we're going to have complete team coverage. I know uh, Evan is headed out to Detroit to yep. uh, cover the Patriots uh, in their uh, a joint practice with the Detroit and he'll Lions. Be in Nashville too. He's doing both. Wow, so he's got a he's lot. He's really of, got the full coverage. He's I got am a little the, jealous. He gets to go to Nashville. That's like my favorite city. That's not Boston. But. Uh, it is a tremendous city. He's racking up the frequent flyer miles. But be sure to follow Evan Lazar on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. I also want to thank the guy we're talking with, 
Real Alex Barth on Twitter. Alex, uh, appreciate you covering us. Uh, appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. Anytime, you know that. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's pod. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, betonline.ag as well. Want to thank our producer, Michael Angie, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.